back like we never left. It's Double Move Sports. As always, I'm Steph Albiero, and I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend, Alex Lott. How are you doing today, brother? I am not a legend, Steph, but trying to get there <laughs> one day at a time. I'm ready to bring some heat to the show today. We got some deep, deep, deep shots of the year um, on today's show. We have some some names laid in drafts that could help you win, win a league, could help you win a week. I'm super excited. One of my favorite segments during the year is our Deep Shots of the Week, which is basically streaming guys that are available everywhere. And this is kind of our pre, pre-draft pre version of that in our Deep Shots of the Year, picking names that could have value all year long. Super hyped. This is going to be a fun one. We're going to be talking about some names that I don't think have been getting a lot of love lately. So we'll try to bring those hot takes, guys. That's really what we like to do here at Double Move is sift through all the narratives and find out what's real and where we can find value in our drafts to bring home these titles. As always, subscribe to us on YouTube if you like what we're doing here. Give us a thumbs up. That helps a ton getting the algorithms working for us. And then <laughs> you follow us on Twitter. We're always posting polls, posting graphics. I'm trying to get your thoughts and interacting with the community. That's really where we engage with you guys most. We also have an Instagram as well if you want to see our content there. And, of course, you can check out our new updated rankings. Literally updated them last night uh, here, and it's it's July 2nd. Our updated rankings on our website, doublemovesports.com slash rankings. You can go to doublemovesports.com, and you'll be able to see it there as well. But Alex, I think we're ready to jump into it here. And no no special segment. We're just going to jump right into it. And I want to talk about, I mean, what else are we going to talk about today other than Cam Newton now signing with the Patriots on a one-year deal, $1 million guaranteed with incentives up to $7.5 million. What are your projections here, fantasy and beyond, for Cam Newton? This was i mean i was like on an airplane landing back in baltimore and i get the notification that cam signs with the patriots and i'm just like of course you know we've gone months this offseason the patriots seem so set on jared stidham there's all the rumors about cam to the patriots Steph, i think our header either on youtube or twitter i can't remember which one was a photoshopped a photoshopped picture of cam in a patriots jersey so maybe we can see the future i hope so um, but look, it's a big move for the Pats. I think they're immediately contenders this season. I had them as one of the lower teams in the AFC East going into the year. And now I think they're a real contender to win it alongside of Buffalo. So for me, I think it's a huge move for the Pats. And I'll tell you what, if Cam Newton plays well this season, I think he is the Patriots quarterback for the next three or four years. So wow. that's my initial take just on how it's going to affect this team. Steph, what do you think? And then we'll jump into what it means for fantasy. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fantastic. Like, this this is the Patriot way. Just continuing on, they get a guy at a discount that a lot of uh, a lot of teams in this league were, you know, saw Cam as damaged goods. But this guy is a, is a former MVP, was playing fantastic. You know, some of the best football of his career just two years ago in 2018. We'll talk a little bit about that here in a minute. If if I, I'm one of those people, like if if you think that Stidham or Brian Hoyer are going to come into this this quarterback room with Cam Newton, and there's going to be some t- sort of competition going on, regardless of what Belichick says. Of course, Belichick's going to say he's going to have to compete. He said Brady was going to have to compete every year. This is not going to happen with Cam Newton. This is his offense. If you think it's a competition, yep. I think you're just nuts. Look, the only way, Steph, the only way that, that Cam Newton's not the starter week one is if the injury is a little bit 
more severe than we think, and he's not fully recovered. To me, if, if he's healthy, he's starting. No, 100%, 100%. And the narratives with Cam, I think, have gone way too far. He's an incredible quarterback. Like, people are acting like, you know, he can't throw or he's just, you know, he's he's busted at this point. He is not washed. His timing and strength in throwing the football are elite. And you can go back and watch even just like the, the couple games he had from 2019, 2018 as well. His timing and the strength that he has, I think, fit this New England system extremely well. At least kind of the, the short, quick, more West Coast-style passing game that we've seen. You know, everybody thinks of Brady as this conservative check down Charlie, taking what the defense gives him. Cam Newton's going to fit into that exact same situation, you know, just as well. And you even add in then now Belichick and McDaniels can go deeper into their playbook. You know, run a little bit more RPOs, run a little bit more of, you know, option reads and play action where Cam Newton is is able to move around um, is able to make plays on the ground with his legs i remember there were so many plays even back in 2018 when you know he was dealing with with shoulder injury uh, i think this was before the foot injury cam newton was still able to you know on like you know fourth and two was still being able to to move the chains there for him just with his feet uh, so I, I think it's a great fit and really a win for the patriots now in terms of fantasy you know how do you see this this playing out do you have cam as a qb1 I have him as a QB too. For me, the biggest thing with Cam Newton is it adds to that that incredibly deep um, QB two range where there's guys you can pick up late in drafts and stream. And for me, it further solidifies uh, the late quarterback strategy because it's just another name on the list that you can grab late in drafts. Or if someone else takes Cam Newton, that means a Rodgers or a Wentz or a Matt Stafford is going to be available later. So for me, there's just a deeper quarterback pool. In fantasy football this season i have him i believe at quarterback 17 right now um, i have him for 510 passing attempts which actually would be um, tied for the second most in his career and i have him at 107 rushing attempts which is right really where his average has been um, as a pro so with new england's offense i have him really with the same volume that he had in carolina I think one of the biggest concerns with this Patriots offense is the weapons. And we saw it for Brady last year. I mean, Cam's going to be throwing it to, what, a 34-, 35-year-old Julian Edelman. There's really no threats at the tight end position. They brought in a couple in the draft this year in the middle rounds. And then they have, what, Muhammad Sanu, Nikhil Harry, some upside guys, but guys who have not proven anything in this league. The running backs are okay with James White, and we know Cam loved having McCaffrey um in carolina but i look at cam's 2015 season where he was the mvp and here were his top wide receivers it was ted ginn jr actually had the most yards of all their wideouts jericho kachery was second and devin funchess was third so cam newton doesn't require incredible weapons to be an elite quarterback and i think he's actually going to elevate a lot of those guys in new england this year you know talking a little bit more about Cam's fit here and, and what he could do in terms of fantasy. We saw Norv Turner come in to Carolina in 2018 and really develop this, you know, kind of quick, short passing game. Listen to these stats from 2018. This was Cam's most recent, uh, you know, fully healthy season. I guess he didn't finish the season. He played 14 games, but he had a 78.4% adjusted completion percentage, which was seventh in the league, the 10th highest passer rating 
Uh, he had a fantastic touchdown interception ratio at 15 touchdowns, four interceptions, and he was bottom six. This is this is really encouraging for me. Bottom six in the league in sacks taken. So it's not like he was you know getting hit in the pocket constantly, running around in the backfield and taking these big hits. He was kind of developing his game, and I see this as more of like a. It may not be a perfect analogy, but kind of like you know Michael Jordan when he was getting older, kind of developing that jump shot. He realized you know in my old age I can't just get up and yam on guys every single time <laughs> and drive the lane. So now this is. This is where Cam has to change his game a little bit. I think we saw that direction. Uh, we saw things moving in that direction as his tenure in Carolina was ending. So, no, I, I love it. I, I honestly do. I, th- I think this is such a great fit. I think if you're not, you know, in on Cam being fantastic, I think you're sleeping. I have him right now as the QB 15, and I think that could get higher. It really, to me, what comes down to to Cam's fantasy value is what is he going to be able to do with his legs? What kind of rushing floor is he going to give us? If he comes out and he's the Cam Newton of old, I mean, you may have just won your league grabbing Cam Newton mm-hmm. super, super late. I do think in kind of your standard redraft league, Cam's probably going to get taken pretty early to the point where he's not going to be a value. And we'll see where his ADB, ADP creeps up. Uh, let me check on that real quickly here. While you're checking on that, I'll, I'll chime in. I think I disagree with you a little bit on the changing his game thing. Yes, as you're older, you're probably not going to be quite as mobile, but Cam's 31 years old. He's a different style of quarterback, but typically that's like the window where quarterbacks are in their prime. So if he's healthy, I don't see a reason he should be 100 rushing attempts this season. He's only been under 100 rushing attempts outside of last year where he missed essentially the whole year one time, and that was in 2016 when he was at 90. And he only played 15 games that year. So if he gets the full 16, maybe he... He creeps up to that 100 mark. So I think 100 is really that baseline. I expect this Patriots offense to be a much lower volume offense than we saw last season. I think that defense is going to be really strong again in 2020. And they might need not need to put up 28, 35 points a game to win in 2020. They might only need 24 points per game or, or sometimes even fewer to win. So I think the defense is going to be strong. They're going to utilize that running game. They're going to utilize Cam. Um, But the offense, I do have a little bit lower volume with Cam Newton there, but a little bit more efficiency. So right now, in terms of ADP, Cam Newton is the quarterback 16 per Fantasy Pros expert consensus rankings. That's below Big Ben. Uh, That's right above Baker Mayfield, Ryan Tannehill, Jared Goff. So out of all of those names, I'm taking Cam Newton there because he's going to have the highest upside, whether it's on the ground or through the air. I mean, if you take him at the QB 16, which I don't think you're going to be able to once draft day comes around, you could be getting a top five quarterback at the position. That's that's literally in the range of outcomes here. I don't think that's too, too much of a hot take. Uh, one thing I want to, want to talk about real quickly, though, you know, we talked about some of the different weapons. Do you see Julian Edelman taking over kind of the Greg Olson role that Cam had back in Carolina? Not necessarily. Um, I have Julian Edelman right now for 121 targets. I have him as a wide receiver three in this offense. But in terms of volume, he's going to lead the way for this Patriots team. I, I, I don't know. I don't think he's going to be as effective like a top 10 guy as he's been in the past because the attempts from the quarterback position just aren't going to be there. So I have, I have Edelman as, as, you know, maybe a high-end wide receiver three, someone that it's going to be really solid in your flex spot or a fill-in as a wide receiver two on bye weeks, things like that, with some upside because there is a lot of upside in a Bill Belichick offense. We've seen Edelman be a great fantasy football asset, especially in PPR formats over the last several years. Outside of Edelman, though, Steph, in this offense, who else got a bump up or down? I... I thought I was actually going to switch, you know, I thought I was going to be bumping up a lot of guys. I thought maybe Nikhil Harry would be more valuable for me. I thought maybe Sony Michelle and James White, but the more I dug into it, 
I think there's less pass attempts now with Newton. I have him at 510, which would be close to his career high. So Nikhil Harry didn't get a huge bump for me. Uh, I, you know, Sony Michelle's efficiency went up and I have him going up, I think one touchdown because I think the offense is going to be better, but Cam's also going to vulture some of those goal line touchdowns from Sony Michelle and James White, I think got the biggest bump for me. I had him with similar volume, but an extra receiving touchdown or two with some better efficiency in there as well. So James White is really the only weapon that got a big bump up. Everyone else kind of stayed the same. Are you thinking about it the same way? I am actually. And one of the things that that makes me think that is is how good Cam Newton was at identifying coverages and changing the play at the line. (laughs) We saw a lot of times in Carolina where they would line up. Okay, it's maybe first, second down. And Cam reads the defense, sends McCaffrey out wide, literally lining up as a perimeter receiver. And just based on that coverage, he knows that McCaffrey is going to get open on a quick out route. Like, I I think that same thing could happen here for James White. Uh, And I, I really think that Cam is going to try to be more conservative. They, they like we know the injuries are there, and that's why that you know risk is there with Cam. We don't know how much he's going to run on the ground. We don't know what this Belichick system is now going to be, right? and it's really hard to use historical data because it's been twenty years of Tom Brady, and we can't just carry that over. So the closest thing we have is is what happened in Carolina. We knew the pass catching running back was fantastic there um you know even before uh, McCaffrey they had some names that were coming in um I remember Jonathan Stewart was was really really good uh when he was with Carolina many many years ago D'Angelo Williams as well they've always had good running backs with a mobile quarterback exactly so that that only helps uh, in terms of the running back still not really guys I'm looking at I'm, I'm kind of out on Michelle uh, but I do like James White a lot especially in a PPR absolutely I, I agree with you 100 Steph and wouldn't it be something if we saw the Brady Belichick Super Bowl this year. I think this probably increased the odds of that. It's it's too perfect um, for that to happen this season. That I mean, I'm a I'm a huge Colts fan. I like the Ravens as well. But if it was Bucks pass with Brady Belichick, that would be a timeless classic for sure. Yes, it, it really would. It really would. If that happens though, I'm like the NFL's got to be rigged or something. That's <laughs> too, too perfect. perfect. That's literally yeah. too perfect. It can't happen. Man, it, it just speaks to how dominant these kind of figureheads, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, have been over the last two decades. Let's hop into the moment we've all been waiting for, the deep shots of the year. These are our deep sleeper candidates. Alex and I have each pulled one from each position. No specific order here. These are names, guys, that we're talking about in the last couple picks of your draft, your second to last pick, your very last pick, depending on if you have a kicker and a defense in your league. But these are names that you can either beat everyone to the waiver wire by grabbing and and really you know, save that fab early on in the season or save your waiver priority early on mm-hmm. in the 2020 redraft season. You know, as opposed to, you know, going out and spending $40 on a name like you know, Gardner Minshew just so you can have him in there. You know, why not take him at the last pick of your draft and essentially beat that waiver rush? You know, and something that I like to do, I'm very high on, is, is spending a lot of my fab early on as soon as you see breakouts. That way you can be the one to, to you know, go and grab that player early before everyone's trying to grab him. So that's, that's kind of my approach to the waiver wire. Uh, but Alex, let's let's hear your first deep shot of the year. Yeah, for sure. And one more thing, a couple of my guys are in double-digit rounds, I, I think, Two of mine are, are going to be in double-digit rounds, and the other two you can probably get with the last pick in your draft. So guys that are deep in drafts last year, one that was big for me was Darren Waller. I was able to get him in you know the 13th or 14th round, and he paid off for me really nicely. So hopefully this year we can get a couple guys like that that right, they might not be a league winner, like a top five at their position, but they're going to have value and can help you um, 
really accelerate your way to the playoffs and beyond. So the first guy on my list, you might call it a homer pick because I'm a Colts fan, but it's Jack Doyle. I just don't understand why Jack Doyle is not being talked about at all. He's, I was actually surprised that he's the tight end 18 right now in ADP. He's going in round 13, but most of the mock drafts I'm doing, he's actually going undrafted, which blows my mind because as the tight end 18, he had an incredible upgrade in a situation from last season where he was the tight end 15 and full, full PPR. So I don't know why his ADP has been bumped down. Maybe there's just other guys emerging at the tight end position, but he should be a fairly stable option if you want to punt the tight end position. And the biggest thing for me is, is the upgrade at quarterback. They bring in Phillip Rivers in the offseason. There should be a lot more passing volume in this offense with Rivers. The Colts were actually 30th in the NFL in pass yards per game last season. They only had 3,300 passing yards as a team with Jacoby Brissett. Um, leading the charge there. So 3,300 passing yards last season just is not enough to go around. And I was looking at Phillip Rivers past 10 seasons, and he's thrown for over 4,200 yards in nine of the last 10 seasons. So the pass volume is going to go up in this offense. Um, And and in addition to that, Eric Ebron is out of town. Eric Ebron had 52 targets last year. I know they brought in Trey Burton, but I don't see Trey Burton as a huge threat in this offense. Um, So The tight end targets are going to be available for Jack Doyle. He actually played the sixth most snaps of all tight ends last season. So he was on the field early and often. The Colts offensive blueprint with Brissett just wasn't to pass the ball a ton and feature the tight end position. But in L.A., we know Phillip Rivers has loved throwing to the tight end over the years. Last season, Hunter Henry saw six targets per game. They had Antonio Gates for many, many years there. Even Ladarius Green had some time in the spotlight there with the Chargers and then Hunter Henry. So Rivers is going to throw it to the tight end spot. Doyle has the ability to get it done. He was the tight end seven back in 2017. So he's proven he can be a tight end one before he's got the talent and he just signed a three year, $21 million extension in December. So the Colts are investing in this guy. They have a better offense. There's going to be more targets for the tight end position with one Rivers coming in and two Eric Ebron leaving town and Jack Doyle sitting here at tight end 18 essentially free and he's got a really good shot to finish as a tight end one this season he's not the most sexy name he's not going to go out and you know blow up for 35 points in a week but he should be fairly consistent and the thing that blew my mind Steph, i didn't really realize this till i was double clicking into jack doyle he made the pro bowl last season like <laughs> that's insane i don't remember that i'm a colts fan and i don't remember that i was literally looking at his game log and it had the pro bowl and i'm like there is no way jack doyle made the pro bowl but he was there so he's a guy who's a pro bowler pro bowler jack doyle is my first deep shot of the year guys around his adp are dallas goddard johnny smith eric ebron and blake jarwin of those names i love him a lot more than goddard or ebron Johnu Smith and Blake Jarwin, maybe you could make a case for. But if you want a consistent option, I think Jack Doyle is pretty safe. Dude, I'm with you 100%. I, I know we were talking before the show when we initially were like, all right, who do we have here as our sleepers? What guys we're going to talk about? I definitely had Jack Doyle on my list, and you sniped him from me, and I let you have him <laughs> as the Colts homer. And I'm really excited about my tight end that we'll get to here in a minute. But, man, I, I'm with you 100% on Jack Doyle. I have him in my projection. This might actually be like – I might have to take him a little bit down just because, like – the, the hive mind is much lower on him, so I'm feeling like something's wrong with me. But I have him at the <laughs> tight end 11 right now. Wow. Hey, and I could I, see that happening. I, I could definitely see that happening. He's going to be a red zone 
target monster. I, I could really see him having over five touchdowns. I mean, for reference, Kelsey and Kittle had five touchdowns last year. I think Doyle could be well above that. The guy with the most touchdowns at tight end last year was Mark Andrews. I don't think Doyle's getting into double-digit range, but seven, six, I think is a, you know very, very, very likely to happen. Absolutely. And I, I've actually bumped him up as of late. I have him right around that 13, 14 range in my rankings. He's right in that zone with, I mean, I mentioned it, Johnny Smith, Blake Jarwin in my rankings, even Rob Gronkowski, Mike Gusecki. And if you're going to punt the tight end position and take a guy like Jack Doyle, I actually love the idea of taking one of these high upside guys. You think about the Noah Fants of the world and Mike Gusecki, athletic guys who are probably a little more boomer bust. I love pairing them with a the Jack Doyle. So you can put Doyle in your lineup early on, get some consistency, see what happens with the other guy. And if he's not good, you drop him. But if Fant or Gusecki or even a Gronk gets back to form or TJ Hawkinson, if one of those guys blows up, you've you've really hit a jackpot at your tight end spot. And Doyle should be very, very consistent and very safe. One of the things I, w- I just uh, guest starred on uh, the Fantasy Stock Exchange, good friend of ours. Guest starred. To- <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you call it, featured. I don't superstar, even know what to say Superstar here. Steph Albiero making appearances. I hope, I'm glad you made time for me today, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you so much. The, the thing we were talking about is how last season, the teams that made the playoffs, and, and there's a whole article I think they're going to be dropping soon, talking about how the teams that made the playoffs, it was like 70% of them uh, grabbed a tight end late that blew up. So you had Darren Waller last year. You know, a name like that is, Mark is perfect. Mark Andrews last year, right? So being able to find this value deep at tight end can be the difference between being a playoff team and being a team that's, you know, seventh. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, definitely need to, to – to, I'm, I'm all in this year on grabbing tight end late, and Jack Doyle is one of those reasons why. But I want to talk about my first deep shot of the year here, and it's going to be a gross name. May get some shit for this one. But it's Randall Cobb. And no one – and it really my whole premise is no one knows who the guy will be in Houston. You know, we're hearing a lot of talk right now about Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller. Neither of those are the most durable guys right now. And I'm not going to deal in absolutes and just say, oh, you know, because Brandon Cooks has hit a thousand yards everywhere else, he's going to do it again. And even if he does, I don't necessarily think that's a, a huge indictment on Randall Cobb. You know, Cooks has had the scary concussion issues. He missed two games, was in and out of the lineup last year. Will Fuller misses five and a half games a year over the last four seasons. So you got to expect at least five or six again. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and things don't sound like they're improving in the Fuller situation. I, I read a quote recently that was like, he, he just doesn't understand what's going on um, with his body. So, I mean, I wish the best for him, but we just can't rely on that from a fantasy perspective. And, and here's really the, the the one of the biggest things for me is Deshaun Watson has been fantastic when throwing to the middle of the field and targeting the slot. So per next-gen stats on throws 10-plus yards down the field and over the middle, Deshaun Watson has a pass rating of 106.5 compared to the average pass rating of 91.3. So that that's a huge difference there. And that shows just how elite Watson is when he's attacking the, that middle of the field. And I think even with Randall Cobb, yeah, he's not going to be an upgrade over DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, who is? But he fits into that, that slot receiver role extremely well. And based on the last couple of years, I think the Texans are actually a really, really good fit for Randall Cobb's skill set. He has a career yards per reception over 12 and last year was his best year in terms of efficiency he was at 15.1 yards per reception which is really a number you expect from like a deep threat receiver for reference last year hopkins had 11.2 yards per reception will fuller was 13.7 
Kenny wow. Stills was a 14 yards per reception. And Brandon Cooks, who they brought in, of course, is, was at 13.9. So last year, Cobb was already passing those guys in terms of yards per reception. He is just a yak monster. He can make plays down the field. And the Texans brought him in on a decent deal, a three-year, $27 million deal with $19 million guaranteed for a guy who's Most guaranteed money old. of all the free agent wide receivers this year. That Wow, that's actually crazy. I did not know that. Well, for a guy who's 29... And, I mean, and the free like agent been... <laughs> class was weak because Amari Cooper didn't hit free agency, but still. Hey, fair enough. The the I mean, for a guy who's 29 years old, that's that's an incredible contract. Shout out to Randall Cobb and his agent because they just won this deal, and and I really do think it's a great fit. There done. is a world here where Randall Cobb is the best wide receiver on the Texans in a high flying offense that. You know, if he develops chemistry with Deshaun Watson, we always like Deshaun Watson scrambling around in the backfield, waiting for guys to get open. Like if that chemistry develops and Cobb is the one there and is extending those plays with Watson, he can be a weekly wide receiver two or flex option that you're essentially getting for free in the last couple picks of your draft. And if if you see that Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller take over and Cobb's just not getting the volume, then you can drop Randall Cobb and, and it's no sweat. You can pick somebody else up off waivers. So I love taking Cobb as that deep shot in our drafts and and there is really a world i think he is a wide receiver too (laughs) steph i actually love that call and you're right there's a non-zero chance that cobb ends up the highest uh fantasy scoring receiver on the texans and he's still a good player he's only 30 years old and i look at kind of adps and players that are similar to that randall cobb skill set you think about the jamison crowders of the world you think about the golden tates of the world guys who aren't going to pop off very often but they should be very consistent should get plenty of receptions are running in the slot and you look at golden tate you look at jamison crowder those guys are going several rounds in front of randall cobb and i actually think it's a toss-up if you put golden tate jamison crowder and randall cobb out on the table i think it's a toss-up between which of the three ends up as the highest scoring um, in half ppr ppr formats this season in fantasy so for me if i'm gonna take a a jamison crowder or uh, you know a golden tate in round 10 or 11 maybe even round nine, I would much rather take an upside running back or an upside at another position or maybe an even bigger upside receiver at that spot, wait and get that stability from Randall Cobb a little bit later on. People are sleeping on Randall Cobb. People are forgetting about him. And he's a talented guy who still has a lot of um, productive years in front of him and should see a pretty good target share this year in Houston. So I love the pick stuff. So now jumping in to my next deep shot, I'll go ahead and, and throw out my wide receiver it's, it's another guy in the state of Texas. It is C.D. Lamb Ooh. for the Dallas Cowboys. And this one's not quite as deep of some of the other picks on this list. Right now, C.D. Lamb is going as the wide receiver 41 around uh, round 10 in most drafts. So he is in the double-digit rounds. He is a later in your draft. And he's not like a last-round guy. But if you're getting C.D. Lamb as your wide receiver four, I think of all the guys that we're going to talk about today, C.D. Lamb has the highest upside this season. He's an incredible rookie talent, first of all. He was my favorite wide receiver coming into this class. He goes to one of the best offenses in the NFL with the Dallas Cowboys. You can get him as your wide receiver four right now, which is just an absolute steal. You don't have to throw a rookie wide receiver into your lineup to start the season. You can draft him as your wide receiver four and have that luxury of waiting and seeing what this Cowboys offense looks like, seeing what his snap counts look like early on, seeing the rapport he builds with Dak Prescott, which I think will continue to build as the season goes on. And with CeeDee Lamb, the biggest thing that are scaring people away from this guy, everyone knows the offense, they love the offense, but they don't like the landing spot because of Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. And I think that's valid. I think that does cap some of the upside 
for C.D. Lamb. But this is a stat that's been mentioned on just about every fantasy podcast I've heard talking about the Cowboys. Randall Cobb, who we just talked about, and Jason Witten vacated 166 targets in this Cowboys offense. I think a good chunk of those targets are going to go to C.D. Lamb. And an interesting thing about this Dallas offense as well is that 67% of their snaps in 2019 came from 11 personnel. That's one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers. So two-thirds of plays, they had three wide receivers on the field. That's just 11 personnel. That's not including spreading it out wide, things like that, where they might have three or four wide receivers. So Lamb should have the opportunity to see plenty of snaps in this offense. And if Cooper or Gallup miss any time, which Cooper was banged up a little bit last season, Gallup actually did miss a couple games. Lamb, to me, is an immediate top 20, top 24 wide receiver. He's right in that wide receiver two range. Um, and we've also talked about this on the show before, Steph. There's a chance C.D. Lamb comes in and by week six, by week eight, he's just beating out Michael Gallup for snaps. I don't think he's just going to like overtake Gallup and Gallup's going to ride the bench, but they could be kind of splitting that wide receiver two role and wide receiver three role, which is very, very valuable in Dallas. And this defense for Dallas is, is middle of the pack. They were decent last season, but they lost Byron Jones in free agency. They lost Robert Quinn in free agency, arguably their two best defensive players. So they're going to throw the ball a ton. It's a fun offense. Dak Prescott has a lot to prove um, trying to get that long-term contract extension. So I love CeeDee Lamb this year. He's got a ton of upside. And as my wide receiver four, that's exactly what I want, a guy who can win me a league. I'm, I'm with you, man. CeeDee Lamb's upside is insane. Who's to say that he's not even beating out Amari Cooper in, in a year or two? Like, he could just take over as the clear one here. He was drafted with that pedigree. I mean, this, this Cowboys – you know, defense was in desperate need of a DB and Jerry Jones took a wide receiver and, and when they really didn't need one, like that speaks to how valuable CD lamb is and how great everyone thinks that he's going to be. Sure. So, I mean, if it's true, if he really is the guy that they drafted him to be, you know, he's going to be fantastic. He's absolutely a dynasty buy. we'll see how things shake out this year, but there is a world where, you know, if a couple other guys bust her out, then CD lamb is taking over as, as the two, um, or three there could see as high as a hundred targets if things really do yeah. go his way. Not projecting that by any means, but it, it's in the range I of am. outcomes. I have him right now for 104 targets wow. and right at a thousand yards receiving. That's behind Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. So you know, I think there's a very fair chance he hits 100 targets as is, and if he's able to to beat out Gallup for some snaps, I think the sky's the limit for CeeDee Lamb. Let me read you off some of the guys going around his ADP right now, Steph, and, and tell me if you would rather have CeeDee Lamb or any of these guys. It looks like Christian Kirk, Jerry Judy, Darius Slayton, and Will Fuller are all in that ballpark. Um, CeeDee Lamb or any of that guys on that list? I think, man, this is tough. I think Slayton, just because there's not as much competition on that receiving core, there actually might be, now I'm thinking about it, with Evan Ingram, who was getting like 10 targets a game when he was healthy and in the lineup. But uh, give me Slayton there. Uh, give me, uh, what were some of the other names? Christian Kirk. I, I do like Christian Kirk just as another one. He's like, he's going to be the clear two. He's the clear He's being forgotten about. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's like yeah. the clear deep, deep name there. Um, or I'm sorry, deep option, like deep threat receiver. So, you know, it's just kind of fuzzy right now in what CeeDee Lamb's role is going to be. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. Like, there is a world where he is the two um, and, and gets over 100 targets. There's also a world where I think CeeDee Lamb is kind of eased in. He's not used a ton. The game scripts aren't, you know, super pass heavy. So, you know, there's kind of both ends of the spectrum there. But give me Kirk and Slayton. But 
you know, compared to like the other names there, right? Will Fuller. Um, I forget the other one you said, but Jerry Judy. There's actually there were a lot of rookie wide receivers right in that ballpark. It was CD, Jerry Judy, Justin Jefferson was there. Jalen Rager was a little bit lower, um, but a lot of those first round rookie wide receivers. I think Ruggs was in that ballpark as well. Of all of all the first round rookies, I, I can't imagine taking any of the other guys over CD Lamb. If I'm taking a shot on one of them, I'm going with the one that I think is the most talented in CD Lamb. Uh, in the best offense. The, the Judy is close in talent, but in that Denver Broncos offense, there's not going to be as much volume. Right, right. He will be the probably the clear cut too, but you still have Sutton, Hamler, Fant. So for me, I love CeeDee Lamb as an upside play this season, um, and I'm probably going to be snagging him in a lot of drafts. The only other name that I would look at in terms of the rookie wide receivers in redraft, there's actually two of them. One I actually considered putting as one of my deep shots of the year. This might be one I actually kind of want to keep a secret here, but it is actually LaVisca Chenault on the Jacksonville Jaguars wide receiver they brought in out of Colorado. Uh, But outside of that, I think Justin Jefferson would be the other other rookie wide receiver. I'm sure we'll have plenty of shows where I'll talk about JJ because I'm all in on this guy. But we're, let's keep with this kind of Cowboys theme we got going. I just talked about Randall Cobb. You brought up C.D. Lamb. And to all of your points, the, the tight end that I'm very excited about as a deep shot of the year is Blake Jarwin, uh, a guy you can draft, you know, the 14 to 16 round, uh, depending on how people are drafting. But one, I think you got to keep your eye on early in the year. If Jarwin falls to the waivers, pick him up because this Cowboys tight end spot is a gold mine. Last year, Jason Witten, you mentioned it, 83 targets. He had four touchdowns and finished as the tight end 11. A lot of people don't realize Jason Witten was a tight end one in PPR leagues in 2019. That's crazy. What? (laughs) And this is while getting a brutal 8.4 yards per reception. For reference, the other 23 tight ends in the top 24 averaged 11.2 yards per reception. So... Witten was essentially just falling forward for yardage every time he got the ball. And Witten's an absolute legend, but he was 37 years old, coming out of retirement after a season commentating games on Monday Night Football. So now we have Blake Jarwin stepping up into that role. I think he can take this Witten role and take it even farther. He got a new contract in March. The Cowboys extended him. They're investing in Jarwin. It was a four-year, $22 million deal. I think he's going to be the guy for them. His current ADP is at the tight end 19. So that's a perfect late shot in your draft. And I have Jarwin in my rankings as the tight end 12. And he could even finish higher than that because I think the volume is going to be there. You kind of just laid out all the reasons. But the Cowboys are going to pass a ton this year under Mike McCarthy. Most people have Dak third off the board at quarterback uh, at the quarterback position for this very reason. Kellen Moore, since he's coming in, has had the Cowboys at third in pace of play. They passed 596 times last year. That was you know top five in the league. And now McCarthy, who's always run a pass-heavy approach with Aaron Rodgers, had him competing at MVP levels back in Green Bay, was brought in. So even if you think that pass volume will drop a bit, I mean, I'm, I have them at 585 attempts. The defense didn't improve either. Either Byron Jones walked in free agency to become the highest paid cornerback in the league in Miami. And I have Jarwin at 11% of the team's market share. It could easily surpass that. Jason Witten was at 14% market share. And in the touchdown category, Jason Witten had four touchdowns. Blake Jarwin still had three touchdowns of his own on the year. And really the the difference for me in terms of, of Witten and Jarwin and their touchdown abilities, only one of Jarwin's three touchdowns were caught in the red zone. This is crazy to me. Jason Witten had a 17% target share in the red zone. All four of his touchdowns 
uh, were within the twenty, were within twenty yards, and three of them came within ten yards. So Witten, yeah, because he would have got caught if they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> so Witten was literally like just getting these like almost like checkdowns in the red zone and taking to the house. I, I think Jarwin can step into that role and more. One of his touchdowns, Jarwin's, was a forty-two yard catch and run. The other one was a twenty-eight yard reception up the seam, just getting behind the defense. So you add in some more upside in terms of of hey, he can catch these these deep touchdowns and take it to the house. And when this offense is clicking, Dak is playing well, Jarwin's going to be a lead. And I, I think the only way you're actually getting destroyed here if you take Blake Jarwin is if CeeDee Lamb is insane and takes away all the targets and scores. But I, I like Jarwin a lot this year. I'm going to have a lot of shares of him in 2020. I think he's a, a great deep tight end name that you can grab if you just punt the position and don't get a Kelsey Kittle or Andrews or Ertz. No, I agree 100%, Steph. Jarwin is an upgrade from Witten. He's much more athletic. And the Cowboys threw the ball to the tight end position, eighth most in the NFL last year, and Witten is gone with his 83 targets. So there's a lot of runway here for Blake Jarwin. I will say I was much more excited for Jarwin before the Cowboys went out and drafted CeeDee Lamb. Yep. But I think there is still potential for him. I have him a couple spots right now below Jack Doyle. But like I mentioned earlier, if you do want to punt the tight end position, I know this isn't necessarily a super popular opinion, but I love taking a, two tight ends in my draft. I love taking an upside guy and a safer guy or just two deep shots late and hoping that one of them hits. So if you want to wait and snag up Jack Doyle and Blake Jarwin, I think you're going to be able to piece that together based on matchup, based on how they perform early on and, and be just fine at the tight end spot. So I like the Blake Jarwin pick. I have him for... Um, six touchdowns this year. So you said Witten had four last year and Jarwin had three. So six touchdowns seems very reasonable for him. Not quite at 90 targets, but in the 80s for Jarwin in this offense. So I'm excited to see what he can do. I really hope his role expands um, and he gets the work that he deserves. Yeah, in our our census rankings, we have Jarwin in the Double Blue Sports consensus rankings at the tight end 12, which is right where I have him. You have him at tight end 14. Wow. So we're optimistic on him. I've seen other experts around the industry very excited on Jarwin's upside. And we kind of talked about it with Tyler Higby as well. This is a tight end that will have standalone value, but also have the upside at the same time. It's like Jarwin's not going to completely kill you. He's not going to crap the bed. You know, even if CeeDee Lamb is fantastic and there's all this volume, there's enough for Jarwin to still have his games. He was even having some some fantastic games last season. So, you know, it's not one that's going to kill you. And, you know, worst case scenario, you drop him because you didn't invest a ton of draft capital in him. But, Alex, let me hear your next deep shot of the year. <laughs> this one's deep, Steph. This one's deep. I need a couple shovels to get to this <laughs> one. Um, he's currently being drafted as the running back 66. Wow. So translation, he's not being drafted. And he, I was looking at my rankings. I actually have him as the running back 72. So this is like an all or nothing pick with your last dart throw in the draft. I've actually foreshadowed it a couple of times on the show and some of our mock drafts and things like that. It's Ryquel Armstead. If you don't know who this guy is, he's on the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's the backup to Leonard Fournette. And look, Armstead is a total lottery pick. That's all banking on Leonard Fournette getting cut or traded. If you don't know who he is, he was a rookie last season. He was a fifth round pick out of Temple. He's a big, strong runner. Um, he's got power. He's he's not much of a threat in a passing game. Think of like a Jordan Howard type player for Rykel Armstead. So I, I don't necessarily believe in the talent. I think he's probably like a, a slightly worse Jordan Howard. And Jordan Howard's not someone that gets you super hyped up for fantasy, but he's had some success as an RB2 in fantasy football over the past couple of years because he's gotten work. So when I look at Rykel Armstead, 
I think that potential is there if Leonard Fournette gets cut or traded, which I'll get into a little bit later on, but I want to talk about Armstead first. He didn't get a ton of work last season, um, but Leonard Fournette missed week 17. So when Armstead got an opportunity and got the start, he put up 10 carries for 33 yards, which I know efficiency-wise isn't great, but he also had five receptions for 52 yards and a touchdown. So not saying we can take much from one game, but 19 and a half PPR fantasy points when he got the start tells me that if he does get this role, he's going to have valuable weeks. And I know they brought in Chris Thompson in Jacksonville with Jay Gruden. And there's that whole narrative about like Fournette's not going to get the passing work. So if Armstead was the starter, he wouldn't get it either. But I do think there is some RB2 value for Ryquel Armstead um, if he does get the job in Jacksonville. And, and like I said before, this isn't as much about Armstead as it is about Leonard Fournette. I really think there's a good chance Leonard Fournette gets cut or traded before the season. And in addition, he's dealt with off-the-field issues. He's dealt with injuries. In his first three NFL seasons, he's missed 12 games. Um, there's been trade rumors about Fournette all offseason, and it doesn't seem like they could find a trade partner, but that could change as we get into camp. And Jacksonville declined his fifth-year option. I mean, this guy was a first-round pick, and he's been fairly successful for the Jaguars, but there's no – no reason for them to keep him around. They're rebuilding. He's a veteran running back who's going to be looking for a second contract. I don't think Jacksonville is going to be willing to pay that. So I, I really don't know that he's going to be on this team. Keep an eye out. If he gets cut, Armstead is going to have value. And look, I'm drafting Armstead with my last pick in the draft. And if Fournette is good to go and on the field for week one, I'm probably going to cut Armstead. There's no reason to hold on to him even through the first week of the season. But if you haven't heard anything about Fournette and you're drafting in in early August or mid-August, I think you should take Armstead or at least consider him with your last pick because in that two-week, three-week window before the regular season, there's a chance he gets cut. We saw it happen with LaShawn McCoy last year. Not quite as big of a name, not quite as young of a name, but it happened. And I remember the Devin Singletary value shot up when that occurred. So with Ryquel Armstead, I would just draft him. Stash them, you know, if Fournette, if they have, if word comes out between now and your draft, it's like Fournette's our guy. There's no way we're doing anything with him. Okay, scrap this. But if not, it's worth a really, really deep shot here. Look, I can't say I get behind the talent of Ryko Armstead, but the position. No, me neither. (laughs) I I think the position is going to have value. And I'll talk about the Jaguars here in a second. But I want to get into my running back pick for deep shot of the year. It's a smaller guy. He's five foot seven. But he was in the 97th percentile in terms of agility score and showed he can produce for the Eagles in the passing game. It's Boston Scott. And in a PPR, I like Scott a lot as a name to kind of beat to the waivers in week one. Over the last four years, or I'm sorry, after the last four games last year uh, in Philadelphia, they were injuries to Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, Nelson Aguilar. So literally, they're, they're three starting wide receivers. Then we had Zach Ertz in and out of the, out of the lineup. And then recently retired Darren Sproles uh, was also injured as well, who was, you know, the pass catching running back in Philly for the last six seasons. During those four games, Boston Scott was the RB7. In that same stretch, Miles Sanders was the RB8. So Scott has the potential to outscore Sanders, especially in the right matchup. Listen to these reception totals for Boston Scott. He had six receptions, seven receptions, six receptions, and then four receptions. Every one of those reception numbers was more than what Miles Sanders got in each of those weeks, sometimes by even three receptions. 
And so in every game with both in the lineup, Scott had more receptions than Sanders. And, and that could be a recurring theme here. We've seen the Eagles want to continue to use Darren Sproles, guys like that in the, the passing game. This is an offense that throws the ball a ton. Carson Wentz is, you know, flirting with that elite tier of quarterbacks. He's one of those few guys that I think everyone would say like, hey, let's pay him 30 million a year. And then another thing here in week 17 against the Giants, Miles Sanders missed the second half. And in that, that half, Boston Scott had three rushing touchdowns. So if anything happens to Miles Sanders, you immediately have a, a plug-and-play guy who's going to take over both in the goal line and through the air for the Eagles. Do I expect Scott to be that good all season? No, which is just why you're getting him at the RB51 at his current ADP. Unless the Eagles bring in a name like Devontae Freeman, I see Scott as a great deep sleeper option. If you're feeling shaky at running back, he could even be a handcuff if you do take Miles Sanders early in the draft. But, you know, if they bring in a name like Lamar Miller, LaShawn McCoy, that does not scare me at all for Boston Scott's value. I think he's one of those names that we could look back, you know, kind of like Austin Eckler last year, where it's like it's a scat back, but could be extremely efficient. It's going to get some goal line opportunity, and he's on an offense that's that's going to be able to move the chains. So I look at all that, and it's like Boston Scott could be a very interesting one, especially in a full PPR league. So I love him, and he's a name that I'm taking super late this year uh, in all my drafts. I love it. I actually didn't realize that you could have rolled out the Eagles running back combo of Miles Sanders and Boston Scott in your fantasy playoffs last season and gotten 20 points a game from each of them in PPR. That just blew my <laughs> mind. And Steph, you know, we talk about we've talked about it on our mock draft episodes, taking these high value handcuffs later on in drafts, especially with some uncertainty this year with COVID and things like that. And we're always staring down Alexander Madison, uh, Latavius Murray. Tony Pollard as these high value handcuffs in reality, Boston Scott should be in that group. As long as they don't bring in anybody else, we saw it happen last season. Even when Sanders was there, Boston Scott was getting work. And when Sanders went out, he blew up. So there's no reason Boston Scott should not be in, in that group of high value handcuffs. And he's going after all those guys right now. So, you know, he also probably of that group has the most standalone value in PPR format. So I love the pick there, Steph, with Boston Scott. If you are looking at those high-value handcuffs later on in those double-digit rounds, I don't see why you wouldn't take the guy. And if you have Miles Sanders, it seems like a must. Um, and we look at a situation like Cleveland with Nick Chubb and then Kareem Hunt has a lot of standalone value. And if something happens to Chubb, he vaults into RB1 status. I think Boston Scott is like a takedown version of that. He's got a little less standalone value than Kareem Hunt. But if something were to happen to Sanders, he would vault up into that running back, high-end running back two territory. All right, now let's talk about some quarterbacks quickly, Steph. It's our last two deep shots of today's episode. We both have some pretty deep names here at the quarterback position. I'll go first. My deep shot at the quarterback spot is Teddy Bridgewater. Ooh. Yes, this might be a little bit of a homer pick because the both of us went to the University of Louisville. But Teddy right now is going as the quarterback 27. He is undrafted. He is free. He's free. And I think he's gonna I think he's gonna have value this season. I think if anything, he's a streamer, or you could pick him up late in drafts and see what happens through the first couple weeks of the season. Teddy signed a three-year, $63 million deal to go to the Panthers. That's really good quarterback money. I think he is a very good quarterback. He is a better quarterback than he gets credit for in this league. And I look what, at what he did last season in New Orleans from weeks three through seven. He got five starts. He was the quarterback 12 over that span. So he was a quarterback one in the time he got last season. He was right at 17 fantasy points per game. That was right around Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady's 
points per game last year. So he's proven that he can be an effective fantasy football quarterback. He was streamable last season on the Saints. And I think in Carolina this year, he's going to be even more streamable and maybe even a week-to-week starter because the pass volume is going to go up. And yes, with more volume, the efficiency comes down. But Bridgewater has been close to 70%. Um, completion percentage for the majority of his career. So maybe that comes down a little bit, but the volume should go up significantly. The The Panthers last season were second in the NFL in pass attempts because they were just in boat races trying to keep up with other offenses because their defense, quite frankly, was trash. Um, they, they were the second worst defense last season in terms of points allowed. They allowed 29.4 points per game. Sheesh. And when I look at what they did this offseason, that defense isn't really going to get much better. Luke Keekley was battling injuries, but he retired. They lost top cornerback James Bradbury in free agency. Say what you want about whether he's good or not, but he got a $43 million deal. Um, they lost D-lineman Mario Addison and Gerald McCoy. Both of them got decent contracts elsewhere. So this defense lost a lot of that veteran leadership. In the draft, they used every single one of their draft picks on the defensive side of the ball. So there's going to be a lot of rookies out here starting in the NFL. Um, Welcome to the big leagues, kids. But, you know, I, I can't expect this defense is going to get much better immediately in 2020. So I think what that means for Teddy Bridgewater is he's going to be throwing the ball a lot. Um, they averaged 39 pass attempts a game last season, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Bridgewater come close to that in 2020. Um, they have a lot of good weapons, Christian McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson, um, who they brought in in free agency. They still have DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel there as well. So for me, I look at the offense here. There's plenty of weapons for Teddy. I think the volume's going to be there. He is a good, efficient, accurate passer. So I think he's going to have a really good year, and he's going to drastically outperform that QB 27 ADP. He's going around guys like Gardner Minshew, Derek Carr, Drew Locke. I would take him over any of those names. And the one question mark for me is really the offensive line. But even with a a shaky offensive line, there's still plenty of value for Teddy this year. There there is a world where he, you know, really does finish this year as kind of that fringe quarterback one. You know, he, he's been efficient, especially in the deep middle of the field. A lot of people say, oh, he's, he's a conservative passer. He actually had one of the highest passer ratings last year when targeting the deep middle of the field. So I see that as a perfect compliment for Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel's skill set. I think we're going to see DJ Moore slide right into kind of the Michael Thomas role that we saw when Teddy was with the Saints, which was providing value. And, you know, we, we you mentioned it, right? Like Bridgewater is an upgrade over Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen had many, many weeks. I remember there was some last year in redraft where I was actually losing because Kyle Allen was putting up over (laughs) 20 fantasy points and just destroying my week. Uh, There was one, he had a game against uh, at New Orleans, which if you remember that game, it was a shootout, came down to a, a field goal at the end of the game that the Panthers, I believe, missed. Uh, and gave the Saints a chance to drive back and score. He had 256 yards through the air, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, uh, and then had another, you know, call it 10 yards on the ground. So there is a world where Teddy is just as efficient throwing two to four touchdowns a game, especially in shootout game scripts. I really do like Teddy as a deep option, and I think he's being criminally underrated uh, in terms of his ADP and just the expectations for what the Panthers are going to be able to do. Even if he is checking it down to McCaffrey, you know, 10 times a game, that's still yards after catch that he's getting credit for. So um, no, I'm with you hundred percent in terms of Teddy being underrated and as a late, late quarterback option that you can take. Now I want to talk about my quarterback. You threw him out there. You said you would take Teddy over him, which to me is hot. I would not agree with you there, but for me, it's Gardner Minshew. The Jags aren't competing this year. Last year, they they sold their defense like, you know, they were just trying to get rid of them. 
Uh, they've gone into full rebuild. And last year, the Jags led the league in time trailing per game. And I don't think a lot's going to change for them. Yikes. Minshew's going to need to air it out. He'll have plenty of garbage time to do it. And a big help with Minshew is his rushing floor. He was fifth in quarterback rushing yards last year with 344. And he didn't even play a whole season. He was kind of in and out of the lineup with Nick Foles there. And he was okay through the year. He had 61%. uh, He had a 61% completion rate. It's not great. But he still had seven yards per attempt, which was tied with Aaron Rodgers and was ahead of Kyler Murray in 2019. And this is a rookie drafted in the sixth round who came in and had to start after after the starter got hurt in week one. So, like, there was just this, this added pressure. He didn't get a full like, offseason to, to, to practice with the ones. Now Minshew's coming in, and he's the guy. He's putting up over 270 pass yards a game, which is 11 fantasy points right there. He averaged almost two touchdowns a game. On top of that, so Minshew's floor last year was around 19 fantasy points. He was putting up 17 fantasy points a game. That's not insane, but about a third of his games, he was putting up more than 20 fantasy points. So he has the upside to help put you over the edge on a couple of weeks. He was tied for sixth lowest in interception percentage. We did see the the, the wheels come off, and Minshew did get benched in one game, but... The Jags brought in Jay Gruden. They brought in Chris Thompson. They're trying to help him. They drafted LaVisca Chenault. They're trying to put some weapons around him. We all like DJ Chark. I think you and I are both extremely high on Chark. And a big part of that is because of Minshew. So for a guy going at the ADP of of QB 23, uh, and a guy we have at QB 17 in our rankings, you can do a lot worse than Minshew as your your second uh, or final pick in your draft. And on top of that, he has the second easiest defensive matchups based on 2019. So see if Minshew can start your season off strong. If you take him in the later rounds, um, it's kind of a, a, another one where you can, if you're streaming the quarterback position, beat everybody to the waivers, not invest a ton of draft capital into a quarterback. And let me talk through his schedule real quickly here. So Minshew starts the season with a game against the Colts. And then after that, he plays the Titans. So the first two weeks aren't the best matchups. I think we both expect the the Colts and Titans defenses to be pretty good. But then after that, he plays the Dolphins, the Bengals, the Texans, the Lions, the Chargers, and the Texans again. So there is a world where, you know, these are high-flying shootout teams with bad defenses that are just kind of going back and forth. And Minshew could have a ton of value. So if he's sitting there out on the waiver wire going into week three, he is an, an auto pickup for me. Uh, you know, assuming the wheels haven't come off and he gets benched or something like that. That's really like the biggest risk you're taking with Minshew. Uh, but I love him, man. Fear fear the stash in 2020. <laughs> hey, you make a lot of great points there, Stefan. One other thing I want to add on Minshew, he provides a better rushing floor than people realize. He had 344 rushing yards last season. That was more than Dak Prescott or Russell Wilson who people think of as these, you know, top tier running quarterbacks, you know, they're not the Lamar Jackson's of the world, but very mobile. So Garner Minshew last season was right in there um, as a mobile quarterback. He ran it 67 times, actually didn't have any rushing touchdowns. So if he puts up a similar uh, number of rushing attempts in 2020, I would expect him to get into the end zone a time or two on the ground. So Gardner Minshew actually provides a pretty decent floor with his legs as well, which just makes him an even safer option uh, to stream week in and week out. So I love the pick there with Minshew. The weapons there are going to be good with Chark. They bring in LaVisca Chenault, Chris Thompson, Jay Gruden as the the offensive coordinator, things like that. So I love the pick, Steph. Um, I'm still going with my boy Teddy over Minshew, but I think both are great options. And look, yet again, just a case for a late quarterback this season. And the Jay Gruden thing too, like we got to remember this – 
Gruden had Kirk Cousins throwing almost 5,000 passing yards. Uh, this was in 2016. Uh, even before that, you know, two other seasons there when, when Cousins was the starter in Washington, he was over 4,000 passing yards. So I think there will be the volume and the attempts there uh, and the yardage for Minshew to have that, you know, 4,000-yard type of ceiling. And then even before that, before Kirk Cousins came in, uh, Gruden does have experience with RG3 under the helm, more of a mobile type of quarterback. So uh, I, I think it just helps. Uh, it certainly doesn't hurt. And one last thing on Gardner Minshew from last season. He was the QB 20 last year um, with 16-8 fantasy points per game. But if you actually took Nick Foles' production and stacked it on top of Gardner Minshew, that would have put the Jaguars quarterback as a whole as the quarterback 12. They would have actually finished just in front of Tom Brady at the quarterback position. So with Minshew as the unquestioned starter going into 2020, knowing he's going to get all the snaps at the quarterback position, there's not really much of a reason to believe he's going to take a step down. So kind of as that bridge quarterback, I think they will draft one next season because I do not expect them to be good this year. I think Minshew is a great streaming ball option at the quarterback spot. He did it last year, week in and week out, and I think there there's no doubt he's going to do it again in 2020. Well, Alex, I think that wraps up our D shots of the year, our deep sleepers in 2020. Hell of an episode. Anything to say here before we sign off? Last thing, two things. One, <laughs> we're less than 70. I'm not good at math you know, on the fly here. But I think we're less than 70 days away from the NFL season Ooh. from that first game. So I'm it's, it's coming up quick. It's sneaking up on us. I am super, super excited about the NFL season. So just had to throw that out there. And two, I want to hear your all's deep, deep shots of the year. One, I said earlier, one of my favorite segments during the season is deep shots of the week where we're able to stream these guys based on matchup opportunity, injuries, things like that. These are some names we wanted to throw out there that aren't, aren't necessarily the chalk that you're hearing everywhere, but I want to hear community out there listening, like drop in the YouTube comments who your deep shots of the year are. Are there names that we're not considering on this list that you should be taking with your last pick or second to last pick in the draft? I want to hear all the takes. These takes right here are hot. Some of these guys, look, they won't have value. You will drop them after week one, but it's guys that have a chance, a non-zero chance <laughs> of having fantasy value this season and returning value on that last pick. So I want to hear the takes out there. I know there's a ton of names out there late in drafts that we didn't get to. And I know there's a good case for a lot of those guys. So I want to see those names in the comment with a case for those players um, this season. And lastly, guys, if you like the show, thumbs up is always appreciated. And of course, subscribe on YouTube. That is the biggest thing that we're pushing for right now, trying to grow that YouTube, improve the quality of our content from a, a production standpoint. Really appreciate all the support. A subscribe on YouTube is huge for us. But thank you all so much for listening and watching. Really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Peace.